Welcome to The Advertising Show, America's only radio program focusing on advertising, media, marketing, product development, branding, new media, sales and customer relations. Stay with us for entertaining marketing discussion and our special guest interview. Now, here are your hosts, Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. Hey, thanks for joining us. Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth here on The Advertising Show. It's being brought to you by Advertising Age magazine. Visit online at HatAge.com, The Advertising Show, a copyrighted Big Radio Midgets production, and another opportunity to bring you a great encore show. This one happens to be from early in uh, 2010. Jonathan Nee, our special guest out of New York. Jonathan is Director of Media at Columbia University, and he's also co-author of the book called The Curse of the Mogul, a great interview. Glad to bring it to you again. Enjoy. Here at The Advertising Show. Jonathan Lee is our special guest. He is the co-author of The Curse of the Mogul, which also could be a Harry Potter book, right? Uh, what's wrong with the, And then you add the addendum. The, uh, what's wrong with the world's leading media companies, a.k.a. Bernie Madoff? He's also an adjunct professor and director of the media program at Columbia Business School, not to be confused with the Columbia Broadcasting School. No, right, exactly. A longtime investment banker. He's also the author of The Accidental Investment Banker. And uh, Jonathan lives in New York, which is a grand place. I, I would assume that that will be the same place that Conan O'Brien will be going back to after, <laughs> after the next few weeks here. You know, anyway, if, Bernie, if, Bernie, if Bernie was in the media business, he may still not – he may be out of prison. He maybe never would have gone to prison. He would have never gone to prison, and that's yeah. a very interesting – Interesting way to put it. Man, I'll tell you one thing. He left behind some really nice digs all over the place, whether it's yeah. New York and or uh, West Palm or whatever. It was, uh, it was a good life for Bernie. Oh, uh, yeah. Not anymore. Uh, we've got to uh, take a break here. Uh, the advertising show being powered by Shipple.com. It's S-C-H-I-P-U-L.com. And a platform called Tendency, which is an incredibly killer marketing platform. Check it out. Ed and his gang do a great job for the advertising show. And uh, thanks for uh, heading into uh, 2010 with us as well, Ed. We appreciate that. Ray and Brad, back in just a minute with more on the advertising show. You're listening to the advertising show with Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. Nobody can call George Whipple an old fuddy duddy. This new sign is right up with the times. Maybe this will stop the ladies from squeezing Charmin bathroom tissue. Please don't squeeze the Charmin, indeed. Back on the advertising show is Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth, and our very special guest out of New York uh, this weekend is Jonathan Nee, co-author of The Curse of the Mogul. What the heck is wrong with the world's leading media companies? Jonathan, as we start off the new year, it's great to have you here at the advertising show. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, uh, Jonathan, you and your uh, two co-authors, I'm curious, uh, what was it that prompted you two to, or I guess you'd say you three, to write this book? Well, we've been teaching a course on the subject for about five years up at Columbia Business School, and what really made us think it was time to uh, share some of the insights that we built over that five years of teaching with a broader audience is the fact that out in the world, all of a sudden, people started talking about how all of the media businesses are in crisis, and all of the leaders of those companies have been articulating strategies for solving that crisis, which, to our mind, were pretty dangerous and, in fact, more likely designed to accelerate the problems rather than fix them. So we thought it was time to 
tell the story about what's really been going on in the media business and shining some light on the basic data of the media business, which somehow has been obscured, not because it's not widely available in public, but because the people who run these companies do a remarkably good job at marketing themselves uh, and convincing people that they're indispensable to their businesses, uh, rather than uh, having people focus on what the actual returns and results of those businesses have been over the last, not just few years, but decades. So when you say accelerate the problems rather than fix them, what are, what are we talking about as far as problems? Well, you know, when you look at uh, the simplest and most obvious problem is the problem for any poor sucker who's owned a share of any of the big media companies. Because uh, if you've held shares in those companies, you have done a lot worse than your grandmother who bought ETFs and just <laughs> sat in the market. And that's true whether you've owned them for 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years. So when people say, oh, you know, we, uh, the problems in these media companies, the fact that advertising is going down, that the old media is going away, it's the problem of the Internet, well, that would be a little more believable if these companies had done well before the Internet. But the fact is they've been underperforming and underperforming consistently for decades, for a generation. And it is true that the Internet makes it harder and has accelerated some of the problems, uh, but uh, that isn't the cause. <laughs> and the strategies that have been articulated by the big companies since AOL Time Warner, which, you know, has just been uh, celebrating, I guess if you could call it that, its 10-year anniversary, haven't changed. Uh, the big media companies say, I want to grow at all costs, I want to embrace the Internet, I want to go global, uh, and content is king. That's exactly the justification for AOL Time Warner. Uh, and when you think about each of those elements, and you think about what connection, if any, they have with what's likely to happen to the share price, the fact is, pushing on any of those buttons with the intensity that media companies do is likely to get you low returns, not high returns. Well, staying with the AOL uh, Time Warner example, yeah, uh, 01, the merger, Steve Case, a mogul in, in his own right, Ted Turner, I guess, with Time Warner at that point, uh, since their merger in 96. Uh, are we talking about the, an ego issue here? Are we talking about Wall Street driven uh, need to show growth? I mean, what exactly is the cause of all of this? I think it's, a, it's, it's the deadly interrelationship between those two things. That is, uh, you know, the desire for growth at all costs uh, is, uh, is a very dangerous, uh, dangerous uh, predilection. Because growth is not good or bad in itself. It's all a question of how much you pay for that growth. And if you pay too much for that growth, as certainly uh, was the case for the poor Time Warner shareholders, or indeed uh, the shareholders in CBS Viacom, or the shareholders in any of the biggest deals that have happened over the last couple of decades, uh, then growth is definitively bad. This is not a new concept. If you overpay for something, you destroy value. Uh, and many of the biggest media companies have these strange dual-class shares, which allow the, the people who run the company 
to control what happens, even though they don't have the same economic interest. The poor guys who just own regular shares rather than these special high-vote shares uh, basically uh, are just along for the ride. And when you absolutely control, and what's a mogul if not somebody who is really king of their realm, when you absolutely control something, well, you know, uh, diluting everybody else where you're... Uh, uh, your value is uh, more driven from being king of a bigger and bigger realm. Uh, it's not shocking that the result uh, is is not a happy one for the rest of the uh, the rest of the shareholders. But I do think in media, the danger is and the source of the problem is something even more deep than this funny dual class situation that you see much more often in media than elsewhere. And that is that somehow these media moguls convince the world that they are somehow indispensable to these businesses. And the boards and the shareholders give them a level of leeway that they don't give to CEOs of other companies. Somehow, because, you know, they're managing creative people or something, uh, the AOL Time Warner deal wasn't dual class, but Jerry Levin got that board approved, got their board to approve that deal with one board meeting. I mean, most companies wouldn't do a hundred or two hundred million dollar deal, much less a hundred or two hundred billion dollar deal with one board meeting. You need several board meetings. This was one board meeting and a weekend of due diligence. And the fact that they let that happen was reflective, I think, of the fact that people just sort of believe the spin about these businesses being ones where the leader is a visionary, and if he's gone, you know, the, it'll all fall apart, and you just have to have give deference to them because they understand the magic of media and all of that nonsense. And the fact is, when you look at the returns and, and the share prices of these companies over a generation, uh, if uh, if that's what you get by giving by giving them the keys and just basically letting them do what they want, you're probably better off doing something else. It's another way to look at the the, uh, the world's leading media companies. And the book is called The Curse of the Mogul. What is wrong with the world's leading media companies? With our special guest. Uh, Author Jonathan Nee of this book uh, with Ray Shellens and Brad Forsyth here at the Advertising Show. We'll take a break. We'll come back and then do some more here in just a moment. Make informed decisions about your company's advertising strategy. This is the Advertising Show. USA in your Chevrolet, America is asking you to call. Drive your Chevrolet through the USA, America's the greatest land Happy to be spending time with uh, Jonathan Nee, who is co-author of the book. It's a brand new book called The Curse of the Mogul. What is wrong with the world's leading media companies? And you mentioned Bernie Madoff in the uh, in this book as well. So you think uh, some of the other guys out there ought to be uh, sitting next door to Bernie, huh? <laughs> Well, I think what they have in common is that is that they are uh, uh, masters of illusion. I mean, if you had, uh, if you just take the three largest media conglomerates since 2000, uh, they have written down, and again, this isn't secret. You just get their balance sheets. They've written down over 200 billion dollars of assets, uh, and most of that is not AOL, Time Warner. It's dozens of other deals that made no sense. Uh, where they've written down the assets. But you don't 
see uh, on the front cover of the Wall Street Journal stories about that. If it's about a media company, it's more likely about, you know, what some old guy had for breakfast at the Sun Valley retreat. <laughs> so uh, these guys are incredibly good at getting you to focus on anything else except what's going on in the front of your face. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, speaking of that, Clear Channel, uh, media mogul Lowry Mays and his two sons were the hot media property for stock speculators back in the 90s and early 2000s, Jonathan. As you know, they've recently gone private. Your thoughts? Well, uh, you know, the the one thing you'd say about that business in terms of an, from the operating point of view is that they focused largely on what they were good at, which is radio and uh, outdoor, which are both really good businesses. Uh, the problems with uh, that business when it went private was simply that they put way, way too much debt on it uh, uh, at, the, at the top of a uh, debt bubble. Uh, and when you see people talking about a number of industries, like the newspaper industry and the radio industry, uh, and saying, oh, these industries are over because uh, they're going bankrupt, it's important to distinguish between a broken capital structure and a broken business. There's no question these businesses aren't as good as they once were, but they're still pretty good businesses. Mm -hmm. uh, a number of outdoor advertising businesses still have 30% margins. Radio businesses still have 30% margins. Uh, even newspaper businesses, which people are always uh, saying, oh, this is terrible, they're dead, they're, you can't, you, you, we need government money to help newspaper businesses. Oh, the, small, the small newspaper businesses, that is the monopoly, not the New York Times, not the Wall Street Journal, the guts of the newspaper business are small monopoly papers around the country, like Gannett has, like Lee Newspapers has. Those are still 20% margin businesses. The movie business, the music business, the book business has never been more than a 10% margin business. So when people say, oh, my God, uh, you know, we need government help, you, you wonder what they're smoking. It's true a number of these businesses are going to go bankrupt, but they're going to go bankrupt because when they were 40% margin businesses, they put 10 times leverage on them, and now that can't be supported. Mm -hmm. Obviously, those capital structures need to get restructured, but the businesses themselves, the underlying operating businesses, are actually still good businesses. Well, networks have always been profitable, extremely profitable, as a matter of fact, yet uh, so-called moguls out there have leveraged some of their more profitable assets to purchase other media assets that are outside of their, I don't know, what would you call it, core competencies, uh, and, and, not, uh, and kind of, I guess, at the expense of some of their more profitable assets within their company. Is that a fair ass assessment? Uh, I think you hit it right on the nose. I mean, if you look at uh, all of the biggest deals that have happened. At the end of the day, uh, the the vast majority of them are about people getting bored with their existing businesses. They're not growing as fast. They're not as sexy as they were. Mm -hmm. And rather than trying to fix them, uh, and indeed, when businesses start to slow or start to have challenges, that's when it needs the attention and focus of management more than ever, not less than ever. But what moguls are more likely to do is to take that cash flow while it's there and just buy something else that they don't know anything about, that is not connected to their business, uh, that is highly dilutive, that is very expensive, and that is diverting their attention from where they should be focusing their attention on, which is their existing core businesses. So it's all about ADHD yeah, for, in a corporate stance, right, or something like that. It's uh, Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth here with uh, 
Very special guest out of New York, Jonathan Nee, who is the co-author of The Curse of the Mogul, What is Wrong with the World's Leading Media Companies. We'll tell you more in just a moment. Simplifying the complex world of advertising. To reach Ray and Brad with your questions, log on to theadvertisingshow.com. This is The Advertising Show. It's a real thing in the back of your mind. What you're hoping to find is a real thing. On the advertising show, Ray Shillings, Brad Forsyth, James Stewart, who is a Pulitzer Prize-winning author of uh, Disney War, uh, talks about it this way. Packed with vivid examples, the curse of the mogul dares to say what has long been staring us in the face. To understand the media business, you need to be a psychotherapist. It's an insider's view of how big egos often trump hmm, their rational decision-making which is invaluable and hugely entertaining for anybody interested in the high-profile world of media. That should get you out there to get the book. Uh, Jonathan, pleasure to have you here. Welcome back. Thanks so much. Yeah, I might add, Ray, uh, Portfolio is the imprint publisher and might uh, also add everything you're hearing us talk today is in the book. We're just uh, having a casual chat with one of the authors and uh, just an intriguing, uh, very interesting read. I encourage all of our listeners to check it out. Can the evolution of today's numerous media moguls, so to speak, be traced back to the deregulation of media ownership here in the U.S. a few decades ago, Jonathan? I don't think so. I mean, these were always family businesses for uh, for many years. If anything, uh, people's fears about uh, uh, over-consolidation of the media, I think, are pretty misplaced. I mean, if you look at the direction that things are going because of technology, media is getting more and more fragmented, as is the ownership of media getting more and more fragmented. And the idea that one big evil mogul is going to corner the market for ideas when you've got the Internet there is just, uh, I think, uh, unrealistic. I think there probably does need to be uh, some more focus of these companies. Uh, the problem is that these companies are in dozens of businesses, many of which are undergoing some pretty fundamental transformations and require a lot of time and attention, and nobody can manage all of them at once. So I do think you're going to see more breaking up of companies. You've seen Time Warner spin off AOL, spin off Time Warner Cable. You've seen Viacom CBS undo themselves. And I think that's the direction that you're likely to see things go in. You know, I want to. Uh, I don't want you to get out of here, but let, uh, getting you to weigh in on the future of newspapers. But before we do that, uh, in more recent times, Murdoch has been arguing for walling off free content and moving to a paid subscription model. Uh, I don't know. We've been saying for a long time here on the show that that's the drug dealer business model, isn't it? But uh, you know, give it to them for free and then eventually charge them. Is this really conceivably possible that you can transition from? free content to the subscription model, do you think, Jonathan? Uh, i got to tell you, these guys have gotten it wrong uh, so many times. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and the, the, they go from extremes, from, oh, you got to throw everything for free, to you got to wall everything off and charge for it. And there's lots of different answers for different pieces. Uh, and they tend to get it completely backwards. So with the newspapers, the the thing that they gave away free was the thing they should have been charging for, which is the stuff you can't get anywhere else, which is the intensely local content that only they collect, and they're the only place they can get it. The things they sh- they were making it hard for people to get 
to were things like the classified advertising because they made so much money for it. And because of that, they let companies like Monster grow out of nowhere and eat their lunch. So mm-hmm. the, the right answer is going to be a nuanced mix. Uh, and the problem is that the people who ran very uh, fat and happy monopolies for many years are generally not the right people to manage a, a, a transformation and a restructuring. I mean, the original New York Times strategy of putting just the opinion behind a paywall is, in, again, indicative of this sort of thing. Opinion you can get anywhere for free. Sure. Uh, it's the other stuff that should have been behind the paywall, <laughs> not the right. opinion. Yeah. Yeah, well said. Uh, before we get you out of here, maybe just to wrap it up, give us your thoughts about uh, trends towards media globalization. What's going on out there? You know, the, people love to talk about globalization, and that's the trend, but these are intensely local businesses. Think about you know, the CBS network. Does owning the CBS network mean you're going to be good at owning a TV network in Germany? All of the trends in those countries, there was a time 20 years ago where all they were watching were dubbed uh, versions of U.S. content. It's all intensely local. Uh, so the, the idea that there's going to be one big global media conglomerate, most of these big media companies have a tiny fraction of their businesses outside of the U.S. The only exception to that is News Corp., and they really don't run a global business. They run a multi-local business. To me, the biggest evidence for what we're arguing for is to look at these big uh, moguls and ask, how did they get rich in the first place? Did they get rich by running global Internet content businesses? No. They got rich by running intensely local businesses that did not rely on fancy high-priced content that weren't growing particularly fast and were not uh, 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 were not uh, of uh, of that type. So Ted Turner got rich by cornering the market for billboards in the southeast. Sumner got rich by cornering the market for movie theaters in the northeast. Uh, but now that they're heads of big companies, all of a sudden the answer is to be global, to be content-oriented, and to embrace the Internet. Well, you know, uh, I would look at how they got rich in the first place rather than what they say is the right answer. Today. Great advice, and you'll find more in the book. It's called The Curse of the Mogul, What's Wrong with the World's Leading Media Companies. And Jonathan, it's been a real pleasure talking to you today. Thank you. It is always such a pleasure to share some special guests that we've had in the past here at the Advertising Show. Ray Shillings, Brad Forsyth, thanks for tuning in today. The Advertising Show is being brought to you by Advertising Age Magazine. Visit online at adage.com. The Advertising Show. It's a copyrighted Big Radio Midgets production, and we will talk to you again soon. Why do more media professionals read IWantMedia.com? IWantMedia.com features reports from industry leaders and media personalities. IWantMedia.com gives you quick access to news, stats, trade orgs, and industry publications, and it's updated daily. Forbes says IWantMedia.com contains everything media professionals need to stay ahead of the game. The Washington Post calls it the source for the serious media geek. Do you get it? If you don't, you should. To sign up for free daily email alerts, visit IWantMedia.com.